Welcome to Pushing Dirt. I'm Camilla Ranson, and this is your one-stop shop for everything real estate, whether it's buying, selling, renting, development, city planning, interior design, architecture, the history of architecture, homelessness, feng shui, real estate agents, and the odd but necessary ghost hunting. It all applies, and you don't want to miss it. Welcome to Pushing Dirt, a podcast about real estate where we cover everything real estate, including buying, renting, architecture, feng shui, interior design, anything that goes into the places that you live. So um, today, my guest is Lillian Pfaff. She is from Germany. She's a real realtor and uh, she's an architect and she's also a professor of architecture. So I feel like we have like a serious, serious person. Um, and I'm these are all the things I want to know. I'm not any of those things, but I'm obsessed with all of those things. So um, first of all, you're German, right? Yes. Yes. And when did your interest in architecture and any like anything real estate start? Oh, that's a long time ago. So when I started actually starting um, to study art history, my first semester I had to describe a um, high-rise building in Hamburg where I studied. And um, it was very interesting. So I figured out the whole history and the Chicago School, which came off from the U.S. actually. And um, that was my first interest in architecture. So I focused, even I studied art history, I focused into architecture from the beginning. That comes also probably because my mother is an art historian and she focused on painting and other things. And um, so I wanted to be different. She always said architecture is not really art. So That's we had so funny. all these discussions. So that's when I started to become interested in architecture. So when I was like 20 and never left me. So I love that. <laughs> I love that. And I also want to say that you wrote a book on an architect, um, J.R. Davidson, which you also, how come you wrote, um, what interested you in particular in, in his work? So I wrote a book about him because he is German and he uh, emigrated to the U.S. in 1923. So before the Second World War, actually. And um, because I moved to Los Angeles, I was interested in California modernism and started to do some research. And I found there are so many um, people from Europe who started to do the architectural practice here. So I, I figured out Davidson was one of the total underrated um, architects who built 3K Study House and uh, the Thomas Mann House in Pacific Palisades. That's why I started to do it, and finally I finished it last year. Yeah, no, it's it's incredible. It's an incredible piece. I mean, you should really get it, everyone out there, because it is really, and it's a beautiful book. It's beautiful. Um, you are also um, and a realtor with Superstructure out here, which is a, it's a newer company, right? It's very cool, and we work together, just full disclosure. Lillian is a great realtor, <laughs> so there you go. Um, and um, But I wanted to talk to you about, we'll start with, you know, where we're at. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. the, we're in the middle of... COVID-19, which by the time you hear this, you'll probably be sick of hearing it because you're probably already sick of hearing it. But where you might not be sick of hearing it is around real estate because what has been going on in the market? Yeah, so it's 
fascinating for me <laughs> um, because in between six months, everything shifted back and forth. So at the beginning of COVID, everything was on hold. Everybody was afraid. The escrows took two or three months. Sellers were waiting for the buyers um, just to not let the a deal fall apart. Um, the prices went down for a minute and then everybody got used to it. Um, the real estate association changed um, the rules, how to do open houses, how to show houses. We were uh, exempt also business, so we could do business all the time during COVID and we still do it. And right now the prices are even going up. So we are 12% higher this year than last year in the prices and there is no end in sight except we don't know what happens next Tuesday during the election and then next year when all these um, economic impacts will affect also probably real estate. Right. Um, it was very interesting to see how real estate sort of just, I didn't see that coming, like that it was going to go up, but I mm. also know around the world, in Europe as well, it has as well. And people have become very specific about what they want. And um, not that people are not usually specific, but suddenly their interest is sort of increased in certain things because they can't travel. And I also know in Europe people are buying furniture more than they ever have. Mm -hmm. And and so do you think there, do you think there's sort of a need to because it's the very, the, you know, the world is very uprooted. And I'm sure by the time you hear this, that won't have changed. Um, do you think people really feel like a need to put down, like to know where they are, to to sort of build a life that means something? Because that's what, you know, buying a house is. It's building a house. It's buying a, you know, it's buying a life that means something, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, totally. Um, and we see this also that especially in the, First uh, time buyer market, there's a lot of movement. Um, so all houses under 1.5 million, they go in a week, basically, all like 200 or 300,000 over asking, while the high price houses are sitting a little bit. So that says first time home buyers who still have a job, um, they really uh, want to profit also from the low interest rates and get down put their feet down, um, get a house, uh, hunker down, and um, yeah, uh, get somewhere. And then we have a lot of people who move from New York, from San Francisco. They either rent furnished places for a short time or um, they are also trying to buy something, especially in Palm Springs, in the desert, or outside. I have people or myself also looking uh, in Lake Arrowhead, um, it's affordable still there. We have a year around, we can be there. So there's snow, there's sun, there's a lake, and then you can rent it out otherwise. And it's really only one and a half hours from where I live. Right. So that's almost closer than going to the beach on the other side when there's traffic. So I think, yes, everybody wants to have a home. Or on the other side, architects are there and enlarging homes, renovating homes, right. adding ADUs, garages, home offices, because everybody's at home. We need space. Yeah. And I think that's what's so interesting. And I also want to make it very clear. Um, this We're talking LA real estate, uh, especially, and I know I talk mostly LA real estate, but, um, and I do, I am very interested in other states and also other countries. But 
what's so interesting here is that we're first time buyers and you know, who can like, we're starting at 1.5, mm-hmm. um, which is, I mean, 1.5 below that you said, but I mean, it's an incredible thing. And that's when, when people are seeking to get out of this metropolis, going like Arrowhead, going to the desert, you can suddenly get something, you know, under four, which, <laughs> which, you know, people in LA are, that's low to us. And I know when you go to other states and other cities, that's, not that's not a low price for a house you know so i do think that's what's happened people are beginning to look just outside of or maybe splitting their time do you think there's a thing where people who could maybe buy the more expensive homes are going i'm going to split my portfolio mm-hmm. here and go and buy a place here and buy a place here for sort of the same amount so they can sort of because we're, we might not be able to travel like we used to for a while do you think that's a trend Yes, I think so. And you know, we are we can work from everywhere now because everybody works from home. So I can work from my home or I can work from my vacation home in Lake Arrowhead. Um so it doesn't matter anymore where I am. So I think yes, that's a total trend. People also want nature. That's what right. I experience now. So they want green, um they want a pool. I heard the pool builders are super busy right now. <laughs> Because everybody's home and they they really want to make the most comfortable um, environment for themselves. Because we know we have to sit in this probably for the next one and a half years still. Yeah. So I mean, it's that, not going away. It's not going away. And I think there's also something about getting interested in where you're at so you can open your mind to what's going on in the rest of the world. Because we've been sort of forced to sit still, you know. But there are certain things we can do, like create our home. And and I know this podcast is is obviously about real estate, but I tend to get like where the emotions and all that stuff mm-hmm. comes in because it is an emotional um, subject. You know, even if you're just a developer and everything, you come with a certain element of like what you care about and why you're developing in certain areas and everything. Um, so I do think right now it is exciting. It must be exciting to be a I know it's very scary, but to be a realtor at this time where it changed so drastically, like before all of this, it was sort of the market was, you didn't really know it was okay, whatever. And then it took a dive and then it sort of went up in a strange way. And and it must be interesting as a realtor to walk through that. Have you ever been through in your real, in your career in real estate, have you ever been through a certain swing like this before? No. No, I haven't, but I also don't do real estate for so long. It's now right. like three or four years. And there it was just steady um, going up a little mm-hmm. bit. And But there was also an almost, we always complained at that time about low inventory, but now we have really low inventory <laughs> because nobody wants to sell. You know, you have to think we have oh, big so houses uh-huh. um, where older people live and Usually they would sell and go to a smaller house maybe, but right, because of COVID, nobody wants to open their houses and sell it or they don't really know where to go. So there is nothing out there. There are tons of buyers, but no houses to buy, basically. And that increases the price and the demand. And that's why the houses go in a week. So you basically, yeah, you have to be really on it. And as soon as it comes up on Redfin, you Mm -hmm. have to make an appointment (laughs) And then go in and then three days later is the offer deadline and then you get it or you don't. 
So it's it's even tougher to get something and the prices are higher than it was before. Right. Um, I mean, it's always the Wild West here. It's always something that mm. you're like, what? Why is that happening? Yeah. You know, you can really follow the real estate here in terms of... Um, it's very it gets emotional here people buy for reasons that they often don't buy in other cities which is what Ellie is so exciting um so um i wanted to also ask you since you're a professor i love that that you're not only an architect but you're also a professor in architecture at otis and um tell me about what the classes that you teach there and what what people are interested what classes are people taking now what's interesting to them so I teach actually, um, I'm not an architect, I'm an architecture historian, but that's way close. Um, so I teach architecture history and theory. Um, the students basically have to take it, so it's not really a choice for them. <laughs> um, but I think it's an important subject and that relates also to real estate for me. And that's what why I'm with Superstructure, because we are interested in architectural homes, um, contemporary, but especially also historical homes, and to teach the students from the beginning something about the value of history and the value of uh, historical architecture, which can inform their contemporary practice, is something which I really like to do and which is important, especially now, also to to see what you have in your home, just to go back and just renovate it, not take it down, rip it down, make something right. new, just renovate it, see what you have. I think this COVID learn, learn, taught us all to see what we have, what values we have, um, to hold on for, for a minute, to enjoy the nature, the family time, the walks around the neighborhood, and just not run around like crazy and travel and be everywhere and nowhere. So I think we are forced to be by ourselves and at home. So sorry, I, I no, I love that. Like, no, I want you, I want you to because that is exactly what I think. You know, this I mean, real estate and and architecture is about is that we we what we're creating, and um, it's also because we're in LA, and I find LA his like architectural history very interesting, and. Um, and so I like I'm excited that you that you're a historian in that because when I first came out here, which is a very long time ago, um, I um, I was obsessed with the architecture. I couldn't believe it, and everyone at that point were always like, "LA is like like if you Europeans were always like it's an ugly city," and I'm like, "That's just such a random." statement but what it is it's an uneven city in its architecture and and that's what's exciting about it like you can really do and be and have anything you want to be and it's very much like the american dream and it's the wild west and and um i when i was when i was first out here downtown was like just mm -hmm. a, a nothing you know it was the kind of place that once in a while, if you had to shoot a movie, you know, you you were like, oh, God, we're going to have to, we can't go to New York, but we'll just quite kind of make this up or whatever. But nobody wanted to be there. It was scary. And there were a few, you know, law firms down there, but that was it. But I remember just driving through and looking at these buildings. And there were some buildings that, you know, were very Beaux-Arts. And then there were mm -hmm. 
buildings that were very, very sort of modern or like there were so many different things that um, that nobody talked about. And it was certainly a thing in like, you know, I think in like the 90s or the early 2000s, that people started to get like the late 90s, like really interested in it. And suddenly everything had to be, you know, the star architects and you had to find the right, you know. So um, LA is sort of behind in that way that we haven't, we don't know, like the city planning has never been, I don't know very much about city planning, but it looks like it's just been like, whatever you want to do, and then we can always tear it down, <laughs> do you know? Mm -hmm. And so do you find that some of these things are being restored and who's doing that? Who's who's sort of keeping our city, the, the important things that we have, who's keeping them? So just to make a little side note, Please. I was also shocked when I came from Europe to L.A. and thought, this is a new city you really have to be proud of. I was like, right. it's all also ugly. I was the same. Mm -hmm. Because we come from this whole different city, from medieval city, which are usually intact, and you have a center and everything. And in LA, you have no center. Right. So, um, I th uh, and also in, in terms of conservancy and looking out for old buildings and not tearing them down, <laughs> um, it's a totally different approach. Or as you said, we are very behind in that. In Europe, that exists since... Uh, a 19th century, there is some preservation in place. And here it started, I think maybe in the 60s, um, that they were more interested in historical buildings. But for example, the Ambassador Hotel yeah. um, was torn down. Or, um, very important buildings were torn down. And that changed. So the, the city has actually a really good program also for home buyers. When they're buying a historical buildings. So really? They, I didn't know that. Yes. And that's really, really interesting. And I'm working with that a lot right now. So, which is called the Mills Act. So you oh, can... Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Because I yeah. know a little bit about it, but yeah. yeah, tell me what it is. So it's like when you buy an historical building and uh, the intention of the city is that you keep it historical, you know, that you keep the old windows, that you don't put in plastic windows. Um, and that you keep the integrity of the house. So you can, for your renovations you have to do eventually, you can apply for the Mills Act. So you make a list of what all you have to renovate with an architect and whatever, it's maybe 50,000 you have to put into it. And then you can apply for the Mills Act and they give you tax incentives. So that means Ooh. you get the property tax will be lower. And that's really great. So you have that for the next 10 years then. And it goes with the house. So even if you sell it, the Mills Act stays with the house. And after 10 years, they come and look and see if still everything is in, in, in integrity. Everything is fine. And then you get it for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. So these incentives for the property tax um, are really great. So, for example, you buy... Um, Almost three point six million dollar house, you pay forty thousand dollars property tax a year. Mm -hmm. But when you have a Mills Act, in certain cases, I'm just working on one. You just pay nine thousand. No, a year. Yes. So th these are really so th the restrictions of the Mills Act are that you can't really do anything to the outside. 
you can't really make big changes, put another story on it or something, but you can change the inside, the bathrooms and, and kitchens and things like that. Because you, we don't live like in the 20s anymore. So right. we, we have to adapt in a way. So it's a really great program. And um, I hope more people know about this and, and work with that program. Because it really keeps the, the valuable houses alive, you know, and helps also the owners to keep them alive. Right. I mean, I didn't know that's exactly what it was because I know mm -hmm. that there are those like grade A and grade different houses that you can't do anything to. Mm -hmm. And um, but I actually didn't know that it was that because that's a thing that I think is really important. Like when I bought my houses in Silver Lake, they were like like old, I would say, L.A. bungalows. They're not Spanish. They're just built in like the late 30s. And um, and I just kept the outside and the inside I just redid. But I try to stay with the integrity of the house, even though I have modern furniture and I have old antiques and I have everything because I just think it's important as part of the history, you know. Um, and also a lot of our buildings in L.A. tell us very clearly where we were at in history, like what we were like, what happened, like, at, you know, were we making movies at that point? Um, were they redlining? Were they not? Like, there's so many different things that, that our buildings tell us. And I'm so glad that people are starting to, to really take that in. And I also know with, with certain areas, like the place that I bought in, in Silver Lake, like that was the only place that people after the Second World War, uh, Japanese people from the internment camps could buy. And so when you walk around that area of Silver Lake, there's a lot of of like plants and trees that are not from America, you know? And, um, and I just think that's an incredible, wonderful thing to know and see. And, and the people I bought from it were, you know, Japanese and had been lived there for 50 years. And I just always think that that's important to, there's something beautiful about being, it's like somebody gives you a book and writes the name and I hope you enjoy the book or something, you know what I mean? Like on a larger scale. But like there's something very um, that we have forgotten, like the the sweetness of having history, you know, because we're known for, you know, film, um, but we're not known for architecture, which is crazy, except for Frank Lloyd Wright or but he, you know, has has houses in different places, mm -hmm. you know, Um so I think I might have gotten this wrong, but didn't you also teach a class on women's um, women architects? Yeah, this is something I'm interested in, and I've, I'm doing some research on mm -hmm. that, um, especially because most of the women architects were in Berkeley first. This was the first um, university where they could study. Were those the craftsmen? Because they're women. Yes, built yeah. Ju yeah. Julia Morgan, Julia for Morgan. example. Yeah. She's the most known. Most she did known. the Hurst, Hurst Castle. Right. But there are lots of other ones, and some had their, most of them had their practice with their husbands. Mm -hmm. But then some separated and did their own practice. So there are lots of female architects who are unknown. There's one book which lists it's like very biographically about them, but there's nothing really about their houses or anything like that. So there's so much research to do still in California. Um, there are great archives everywhere. And there's still, we know mostly about Neutra Schindler and Frank Lloyd mm -hmm. Wright. As I said, J.R. Davidson, 
nobody knew about him. Even he did three case study houses, which is like a big program, you know, and which was important. But somehow he fell through the cracks because right. he wasn't a self-promoter like mm -hmm. Richard Neutra. So he was more <laughs> modest and... Um, He was not good at self-branding at that exactly. time. That is hilarious. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of his houses are also getting torn down or were um, because they were in Brentwood and Pacific Palisades and they were just too small for now. Right. You know, for our life today, yeah. these houses were just not big enough. Right. And the land was more valuable than the architecture. So that's the sad part. Right. Um, that's why the house is getting torn down. And the material sometimes wasn't like the best, you know, because they tried to build um, kind of cheap for the general oh, public, I see. you okay. know. Yeah. So that's why you you have to replace the materials and deal with all of that. So mm. that's why sometimes the historical buildings just don't survive. Right. I mean, but again, you said like you and I both come from countries where we are grown up in medieval mm -hmm. cities, you know, and um, and also in in case of like like the rooms, you know, like, but they still build in Denmark, they still build bedrooms and places like small, you know, like, you, you know, like I, my family, I started, like they figured out like the master suite, but it's not where you can also have a sitting room. I mean, you sleep in your bedroom, you know, you're not hanging out in your bathroom, but here, like a lot of the time in order to sell or like there has to be these special things, which I do. I love a great bedroom and a bathroom. Um, but it is really funny how European and sort of older American is built more so the family is together, like the the grand room, the big room are the living rooms where people get together mm -hmm. or the dining rooms. But um, it's so it's built. We're building more individually. So everyone from birth in the house can have their own special thing you know so and but i'm glad they stopped with the mcmansions not that i thought they were terrible i thought they sort of had that crazy california idea that you're like nowhere else is somebody gonna do this kind of house yeah it's sort of funny voice i think it was my necklace um but like um so so i just i think there is a new interest in in you know seeing things survive from the past Because we have one, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So um, so what are you doing with this um, project? You're working on a project about female uh, Yeah, architects. I mean, it's always challenging, you know, because for research, nobody gives you really money. So you have to be connected to university, write grants and all of that. Mm -hmm. So it's just like my hobby, which right. is also my profession. So it's all, always all in one. Right. So I'm doing this always when I have time um, on the side and look at houses and um, talk to people. And suddenly other um, people, for example, in New York, there's somebody who's working also on some female architect. So you figure that out slowly. And then maybe one day I write about a specific architect. Right now, I'm not so... right into research because right. real estate is busy. Real estate is, um, you're very busy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I don't have so much time for that, which I really like both sides. Right. To do. And at the beginning of COVID, I was like, because everything took so long and was so slow, I was like, okay, great. I do write a new book. Right. Um, but I think probably how you felt too, everybody thought now we have time, everything is slow. Right. 
but I couldn't concentrate. It was just like I was sleeping in. It was just like a, such a weird beginning of this COVID and situation. I can't, couldn't really tell. I had no energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to read anything. We were just in politics and COVID and all of that. <laughs> and now I think we are getting used to it, which is also sad, but we have to function somehow. Um, yeah. I mean, I didn't really, because I tend to work, except if I'm doing some of my real estate stuff, so, like I'm a writer, so I, I sit in front. Of, so it didn't change for me that, that much at first. Um but then I realized I had to do my own content. I couldn't couldn't get help, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, but that changed a lot for me. So the whole quarantine hit me late, and suddenly I was like, "Oh, oh, what's going to happen?" You know, like. And then I started getting like really freaked out, and and um, because in the beginning I was just sort of on a roll of like, "This is what it's going to be," blah blah blah. But um, but I do think in terms of of real estate. I find it so interesting that that's the one thing that hasn't shut down, like that, that in some way we can't shut down house buying and house selling. And because it's, you know, it's how people, it's how we live, you know, it's like food and shelter are like the two things Mm -hmm. we need in this life. And, and, um, and that's another thing, like obviously with our, homeless problem in California and and everything that's happened within, which was bad already, and then the quarantine came, and then you were like, how is this ever, ever, ever going to end? So um, I, I do wonder what we're going to do here and um, how they're going to sort of build for that because I'm wondering if there's going to, if, if there's a strategy somewhere that we're going to have to build for people who don't have anywhere to live now or live... Um, live alternatively you know so yeah I th- I think so at the beginning at, at COVID and everybody was like what do we do with the homeless population and then they figured out we can put them in hotels and suddenly everything was <laughs> happening what right. nothing happened years and then suddenly oh yeah we have mm-hmm. a hotel we can put them there we can mm-hmm. bring them there, I was like, what about all these colleges and dorms? I mean, they're empty, right? They're empty. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much space basically available. Yeah. And then it seemed like it could happen. And then they had all these um, hand washing stations everywhere. But then there were articles about like they didn't fill them up uh, again. So they were always like, there are always these little problems. It's it's meant to work, but it's not working. Right. And it seems like it's the same, like everybody talks about affordable housing and building houses and everything, mm-hmm. but we are always behind in our um, amount of what we, we build per year. Mm-hmm. So we can never meet the the demand of everybody, right. especially when now more people are coming from everywhere in the States. Um, so it, it's a really big problem. And because I'm also into working with contemporary architects. So everybody's trying to to build multifamily houses, so what we have in Europe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then certain parts of the city, they don't want to have it there. They're like, no, our right. value of the house goes down. Um, so it's a real struggle. And I think there has to be a politic, a real 
you know, that you have to build these kind of certain houses. Otherwise, you don't get a building permit for a single family house. I mean, yeah. it has to be really strict. Otherwise, never anything will change, I think. You know, we and, and everybody talks about socialism here, mm. which is... I know. Ridiculous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, there were really great social housing projects in the 20s and 30s in Germany, mm -hmm. for example. And prominent architect built great row houses so that everybody had his little house and mm -hmm. garden and it was affordable. Right. Um, so why can that not happen here with the support of the government? So they subsidized the social housing yeah. project. If you talk about social housing here, everybody's like, oh, my God, you can't live there. That's yeah, because the it's it's, so uh, it's you know? people talk about it as being something that brings brings something down. And I think in Europe, we think social housing, that means like everybody takes a step up. The whole, you know, community takes a step up. And I and I don't think I think here they think something is being taken away from another group of people, which is not the case. Um, because when you look at L.A. and when you look at the money, there is enough to go around, you know. And when you look at what people pay in property taxes and all that stuff, there is something that could easily go without anyone sweating, you know. And I also think of, I mean, I'm foreign, and but I've been, you know, working as, a, as an American because, you know, under every American aspect. But I look at some of the really big foreign developers who are coming in and doing giant hotels and everything. There should be. Like, if you want to build a massive hotel or massive something in downtown L.A., you have to leave a certain amount of money or build something. I mean, I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying, but I, mm -hmm. I do think that's a very simple fix. And then, of course, we have, you know, if people are ill or something, but that should not be a difficult thing to fix in a in a city that's very rich, you know. Um, so I have, you know, I have a lot of feelings about that also because you see it on, on the east side. You also see it in Santa Monica, but the amount of people and how they live is third world, you know. And But I know there's also restrictions in terms of um, the bridges, whatever's under the bridges, on the bridges belong to the state. So that's up to the state, but everywhere else is the city. And so it's, or the county, or, so I just think it's very interesting to how they can't figure this out. You know? Yeah, I always think that too. I'm like, there's so many rich people, Bill Gates, just go in, give yeah. some billions yeah. and solve it. Yeah. But somehow it's not happening. And I don't understand this either. You can't let somebody just die on the street. Right. That's not how it works. So, no. um, and that's why I also think it, this is a real problem here. And I don't want to be in this country, uh, a country who treats his uh, inhabitants like that. No, we are not used to that. I mean, we, we, are, from, we are from Europe. In Europe, nobody has to sleep on the street. Right. Only if they really want right. to or it's like difficult. But you always have a place to go, even if it's like a homeless shelter, mm -hmm. but you can go somewhere and you get help. Um, you get help. I yeah. think that's the, the bottom line is that we think here that, and also because we work so hard and I'm one of those people sometimes, I'm like, I'm not giving, like I work so hard and I have to make my money and, and this is what I do. And, you know, but the thing is the money is already there. 
it's there. It it can't not be there. <laughs> it's it's impossible. Yeah. When I see the people who come in and put money into the city, the money is there. It's just not being given to the people that it should be given to, you know? Um, so, and it's not like they're giving money. We're building something. We're creating something in the city. The minute you start creating, that starts creating a momentum of wealth for everyone. And And I think the whole socialism thing that they, I think whatever they think that is it's you know I think in in uh, in northern Europe we have socialist structures but we have often conservative governments you know and um, and that does mean that there is a structure in place to help people who can't and even like you know like it's just also everything costs money here and it shouldn't especially not like like basic things like just staying alive if you're not well it shouldn't be like, should I just die on the street? <laughs> you do know what I mean? Yeah. That should not be your choice, you know? Um, so it's funny how there's like a direct link between real estate and mental health. I never really thought of that mm -hmm. before, but um, there's sort of somebody needs to connect that somewhere, you know? Um, so, uh, and I also think we have a different, I think we're so interested in LA because it's such a, different animal to us than what we come from and that's also why I love it because it's so different I love you know Denmark and I love how things I really love how things work there for people but I also love like this idea of that you know it's sort of like this crazy town where people come out and with dreams and just start creating stuff and that's another thing where um, well, I used to do Airbnb and and make money from that, and uh, and then they shut it down, so you could only rent out. Like it couldn't be a business; it could, had to be a hobby of some kind, you know. And it was such a bummer for the city because there was so much more money coming in, and uh, and so I just kept thinking that, you know, we're we're a city with a gig economy already from day one. Like we were making movies, and that was like actors who were hired for a certain period of time, writers who were hired. Everything has always been a gig economy in this city. And I feel like we haven't found a way to create a major economy around a gig economy. And that, you know, so that's just always my my take on mm -hmm. it. Like, you know, is that if we could, you know, create a big, big, you know, healthy government or like based on the gig economy, it would be, it would work here and maybe only here, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's because so many people come here with, with needs and wants, you know? And, uh, and because we're the city who says we can, we can give that to them, you know, we should try to create a structure that can. Um, so, um, what else did I want to ask you about? I'm really interested. I know you're not, I mean, you know, you're taking a step back on that, but like the the female yeah. architecture. Also because, you know, I'm not going to give anybody any any ideas here, but, you know, these would be really interesting people to make movies about and TV shows about because, I mean, Julia Morgan, you know, uh, worked for a person who was, you know, crazy about architecture i mean i saw the church in ronda in spain mm -hmm. that he created the hearst castle from but like you know her life story can't be simple you know mm -hmm. and so i just you're thinking we're living in a film town like let's make some movies and shows about female architects but i also think 
when we are with female architects, it's interesting because I follow this also in Europe. Mm -hmm. So it's like 50-50 percent, 50 uh, male, 50 female study mm -hmm. architecture. Right. But who becomes successful are usually the men. Yeah. And, and so it's always a question, why is this happening? So why are the female architects working in offices or working with their partner and are not becoming so successful? So mm. this is a long story because they have the same education. So right. what's happening here? So one part is for sure the childcare. Mm -hmm. And um, because we all know architects work long hours. So if you want to have a family life and an architectural profession, I think it's very difficult as an architect to do, a female architect to do that. So you can only partner with your partner basically up and try to balance that. But that's a real difficult that's true. thing. And that's, mm -hmm. I think that's the main problem, why yeah. they are not becoming successful. That's very because, true. Because you have to decide, a child or a family, or you want to um, be professional. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because now I see all these architecture schools and all their deans and directors are female. So they oh, are so they now yeah. going into um, teaching mm -hmm. and into all these administration leaderships because it seemed like there you have a lot of influence and can encourage also other female mm. architects. Um, but there is a way where you can be successful, mm -hmm. but not in your own architectural practice. And that's sad for me. Yeah. And also to talk about female architecture. So there always is this talk. Studied, I started when I studied, I had a gay professor who said, we talked about Japanese architecture, contemporary architecture, mm -hmm. and he was like, oh yeah, look at these these wavy forms and stuff like that. That's for sure from a female architect. I was like, okay, I'm talking about that. Give me the subject, <laughs> I will do a presentation. So I was always interested in that. Can you see a difference in the architecture if it's built by a female or by a male? So that is I can't really decide that but there are studies also I have a, a very good um, friend who's a professor who's talk he's studying um, architecture built by gay architects mm -hmm. so if the the style or also the ground floor plans are different that always depends for sure on the clients you know right how they want to live but there are differences so it would be interesting to study actually female architects building for women, for example, yeah, in comparison to female architects building for men or, I don't know, a female architect building for a man and a male architect building for a man. Just like these differences right. would be interesting. And, and I have also right now um, a client, I'm selling her house and it's very, she made it very female. Right. So not only is there like a light pink bathroom, which is, that's fine. Uh -huh. um, the whole house feels like very feminine. Mm -hmm. And so she was afraid of like, oh God, how do I sell this house mm -hmm. when it's so feminine? Mm -hmm. And we found somebody, a man, <laughs> single man. Yeah. Um, he loves it. Uh -huh. So it, it's... Because we're not worried if it's too male. Like, oh, yeah, she all... is. She is. She's buying a house and she's like, that's Sumer. <laughs> so it's the first time I've, I have this 
conversation and that real is estate. so interesting yeah um pink is also very trendy so yeah not only about the pink just about the feeling right you know we talked about at the beginning of uh -huh. the feeling of yeah. houses yeah so i think that's a big part but nobody talks about these things i think know? that's fascinating so because and, it is true all the great yeah. a lot like the you know the the designers that are you know attributed to the great pieces of furniture are always men you know um so that's that's really interesting yeah and so is it just as a historical because they are men because mm -hmm. they were only able to do these furniture pieces right. at that time so are the female architects still behind because they only could study at the beginning of the last century you know could start their practice that's mm -hmm. why we are all they are still behind but i think they should have the same uh, equal you know practices of, right you know at it least. really is a it is a um it's a craft and and that that really shouldn't have any male like there right. shouldn't be any problem there it's a yeah. house it's it has to have you know certain things and then you can talk about style and that's also style is not something that is male or female people have exactly. their own i wanted to like go back because i wanted yep. to know because i had a craftsman a, um, a california craftsman a 1928 i think mm -hmm. i think it was maybe before um that you actually i guess that was a mills act on that i didn't know that when i was in it um but Uh, those those were I was told by someone that that were women who built or who created the California craftsmen and why <laughs> you know so no it's like they were like at that time where the craftsman the the craftsman house mm -hmm. was kind of not really invented but was um, very successful there we had these women clubs. So the women, so especially more the wealthier women, mm -hmm. they got together uh, also in a craftsman house mostly. There's a women's club, for example, in Eagle Rocks, the active and in a really beautiful craftsman. What do you mean, like a like a, uh, It's like a, a social, social club? club? But they were especially, and we have this also in Berkeley, actually. Um, there were lots of important female um owners then and they right. also asked Julia Morgan at that time. So in, in Berkeley also we have all these women clubs and they were there because the the women were intellectuals, they were educated, they mostly didn't work, but they got together and they wanted to have a better life for other women. So it was not only a social club to just chat, chitty chat or something. Wow. It was really to do social reforms also to make a better life for other women and a better, you know, all the politics for women, everything was discussed then. And so they were big patrons of craftsmen houses. So either they hired women to build their craftsmen houses um, but they were like very influential. So the craftsman house itself is like connected to the social reform and everything which comes with the life in a craftsman. Oh, that's fascinating. So they weren't really so the they inventors. Were really, so they were, they were the developers, basically? Like, quote, unquote? Not really the developers, but they were like the the mastermind or the the, the idea giver also behind craftsmen. And they would have, they particularly because they like to have their clubs there and they could like build their own... Yeah, so the clubs were in these craftsmen. So, and there, it's just like 
really intertwined. Right. The idea of the craftsman house and the social reforms and the better life for women. Uh-huh. And what you are probably hinting to is like there were a lot of women who were craftsmen. So oh. they did um, not maybe the woodwork, but they were did also ceramics. They were working on, on paintings, on the, the glass windows. So at that time, wow. a lot of women were in craftsmanship. Right. And so they were like part of the whole There building. were women who could pay for it. And then like they were almost like patrons and artists. Exactly. Yeah, wow. maybe artists is the right word. Right. Instead of craftsmen. Right. So they were artists. And so the, the, the house mostly... Like in the old Italy, like how art exactly. became. Like there's, you know, there are families that, that paid for art. Exactly. That's so cool. So this was, yeah, also at the beginning of the 19, uh, 20th century. So that's when female architects were allowed to study. And then there were all these crafty women, craftsmen, women, artists who contributed to that. So that was really like the beginning where women got into um, design, aesthetics, and things like that in, in California and in the U.S. In Europe, it's totally different. I love that. I really love. I mean, that's to me that is a movie or a show, or something because it's it's almost a little bit of a hidden part of of LA life, like what created our structure, yes. you know. Um, so um, thank you so much, Lillian. I'm such a fan of yours. Um, Thank you. Know, <laughs> Thanks for having. You've helped me. me with important things as well, <laughs> like real estate. Yeah. Um, so I really love the the information on this because it's to me this is just fascinating. This is part of the stuff that makes it worth living here you know when when it gets too hot then you're like at least there are female architects um i know that's a weird way of thinking but um thank you so much and and give me um your social handles if you use those your instagram and mm -hmm. what you use and what your company and everything tell me okay. that okay um yeah my company is superstructure as i said um superstructure is written very weird so the E's are missing. So it's basically superstructure. <laughs> um, so, but it, we have a great website. We have Instagram all under the same name. I have an Instagram account under my name, Lillian Pfaff. Um, Which is L-I-A-N. Uh, Pfaff is P-F-A-F-F. -F. It's like, was a sewing company. So right, it was. Yes, some people know that. Oh my God, that's, that's uh, so funny. Younger people don't know that oh anymore. Oh my God, no, so. because my grandfather was a pattern maker and a tailor. See? That's so funny. You know that. <laughs> yeah. So in, in Europe, when I say Pfaff, I say, oh, like the sewing company yeah. here, it's a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I love that. Um, thank you so much for being part of this. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you for teaching me and everyone so much. Thank you. Thank you too. Thanks.